<laughs> I love that story. Yeah. <laughs> so actually, can I go back? I just want to go back in time here. Um, again, <laughs> literally and figuratively. Okay, so... Hey everybody, welcome to episode 80 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitra and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Aaron Bay in Whitby, Ontario. Hello there. And we're also joined by Jaime Lopez in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And we have Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hello. All right. Well done, Tim. Well done. Thank you, I know. I was just watching, um, while waiting for you to call, I was watching that Tim Cook interview on ABC. There's an excerpt that right now is posted. By the time the show airs, they'll have the full thing up. It's so nice this is a, this is a new interview um... just published this evening. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. The the great thing is like he's he's uh, he's doing this interview of course to de- defend Apple uh amongst all of this debate furor if you will mm-hmm. around uh the iPhone unlocking issue. <laughs> because the majority of Americans that are polled are, you know, a, a slim majority, but you know, like 51% Mm-hmm. Uh, are kind of on Apple on on the FBI's side in this case. They're they're thinking, hey, you know, like they just want the information off of one phone. Yeah. Uh, just what's just, the big deal? Yeah, yeah. What's the big deal? It's a terrorist case. It's hugely important. Uh, so let them, you know, just do it. Why don't you just do it? Mm-hmm. And of course, mm-hmm. there's no understanding of, you know, what the implementation is like to accede to those wishes, and what that means for. You know the the future of of security on mobile platforms. Mm-hmm. So Tim Cook has to go onto the news and explain this to him in in terms that the layperson would understand. Right, it's a challenge. Uh, so I was just watching some of it. Uh, it was interesting. It was one interesting quote that he had. Uh, some things are hard, and some things are right. Right, right. This is one of those things. Well, I mean, I think the 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 parable, if you want to call it that, or or the the allegory is. Pandora's box. I mean, that's the whole nut of it. You know, the whole idea. If you, uh, if you know the story, of course you do. But you know, who doesn't know the story of Pandora's you can't, box? You know, all all the evil of the world is is inside this this wooden box or whatever. And or she opens it. I think it is. Isn't that what what happens? Out of curiosity, <laughs> yeah. I, forget, I forget the story. But you know, it's a long long time ago. But the point is, all once, the ills once of the world. The, once the evils are out, you can't get them back in. It's not it's not so much as stuffing a genie back in the bottle. I like the Pandora's box, you know, better. It's like it's like trying to unsee some horrible thing that you one day are going to see, and you you know you can block it out of your memory, but it's always going to be there. And you know, taking off this kind of security or this this level of security for devices it's crazy it just it's ludicrous you know and you know the fact I, I do like the fact one of the things i've always liked about apple in this particular case with the iphone is is how they do protect us from ourselves that's the whole point of the platform one of the metaphors that tim used in this interview was uh likening the the software that they would have to write as a cancer mm-hmm. uh, and basically injecting uh code that you know would metastasize and get out of control yeah and, uh, you know, something that they might do with good intentions that would inevitably turn around and, and hurt us more in the end. Mm-hmm. I think the thing that doesn't get understood and isn't communicated effectively in this discussion is how the software that they would have to write to accomplish this uh, would inevitably get used beyond the scope of this phone. Mm-hmm. People keep yes. talking about how... It's like something that, you know, we could just do once and somehow lock it to this one device or, 
keep it on just one device. But I think the the message has been clear, like if you're paying attention to this issue, that um, while the FBI is in, is officially only talking about one phone, mm-hmm. uh, you know there are many other law enforcement agencies that are that are salivating at this at this precedent, this potential precedent, as a as a means to to get access to many phones, hundreds of phones uh, in current investigations, you know, not just this one. So um, it's not, it hasn't been made clear at all, I don't think, that there is a lot more at stake in this uh, than just this one phone. My favorite illustration from the whole thing was, I think it surfaced last week, and I think the name of the artist was Carlson or something like that. Um, and it's a picture of of Tim. It's an iPhone, you know, six-ish kind of thing. And and Tim Cook is kind of you know opening a back door into the phone. And be- beside him is a larger figure, and it's the FBI. And behind him, them is a larger figure, and it's hackers. And behind them is a larger figure, and it's you know like and just there's all these other people just waiting, salivating to get into this phone. You know. Yeah, that was a really great drawing. Yeah, it's funny, you know. I have to say this as as an IT person, I've been called on a number of times to go in and try and recover data or restore stuff from backup or, you know, I've been paid to go through an ex-employee's emails to try and find incriminating things or things that were said, maybe customer promises that were made and broken and et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I've done it a number of times, you know, because it was part of my job, but I have never found anything like that was, you know, what these people were looking for. And that's my gut feeling about this phone, as I said before. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I really don't think they're they're going to find his Angry Birds score, a couple of Facebook pictures he forgot to post, and that's about it, you know? Well, I assume, I always assume they just want access to his contacts. Perhaps, see, yeah, that's see, that's a good point. To on the phone or sent emails to or text or whatever. So, yeah. you, know, other, you know, other people to talk to. Yeah, I mean, because I mean, in a lot of cases, people don't necessarily save the the contact to like they officially save it. It may just be cached in in the device somehow, either in his email client or in his his phone or messages. Right? Yeah, that's true. But I mean, again, you know, you have to think there must be some sort of radicalized, you know, IT school that these guys go to <laughs> to to learn how to how how to handle these devices. I mean, like you know, in all the works of fiction that we've been meant to believe are true, you know, there's always the burner phone, and I love it when people pull the pull the SIM card out of their phone and snap it in half, and they'll never find me now, kind of thing, you know. Well, he actually did that, right? Like this phone actually. <laughs> well, this phone at issue, Tim, was his work phone. Yes, of course, right? yeah. And yeah. he had a personal phone as well that he sure. destroyed before oh, okay. going okay. on his spree. Right, right. So he he was not unaware of the issues there. Yeah, well, now, if he used his, his work phone for personal reasons, he could have got fired. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> but but at the end of the problems. day, at the end of the day, it was also his, his – I mean, his company could have had a managed profile on that phone. They know? did. Well, I don't know they if did. it was an oh. MDM profile, but – no, they had they had his his they had access to his his, his uh, iCloud, iCloud account, account because I put that put a link in in the notes about the fact that there was a story I think out of Mashable or something like that the fact that that the FBI assisted in changing that or yeah. prompted them to change the password or something yes that's right that, and that then was Apple something said that was, Apple said yes. that they could have got you know they could have been able to you know get things out of a backup or something right yeah, yeah. there is a, a lot of a lot of blame on on the FBI side in this one a lot of flubbing. So yeah. Well, anyway, this is going to be a long-standing issue. It's going to go on for a long time too. So uh, we may just end up checking in on it from time to time as events unfold. <laughs> fu, fu. Jaime was just like barfing all over the document lately. 
Yeah. I mean, so I, I put two bits of uh, follow up. One is I was saying pre-Cambrian explosion, and I forgot my um, elementary or perhaps middle school science, and it was the Cambrian explosion that mm. I was. Thinking I believe it's of, Cambrian. So. Cambrian. Yeah. Java. G- Java, Java. Java. So my native language is American English, so folks can translate into other dialects of English. As well, see, please. I thought you meant the 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 period before the Cambrian period. No, 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 that's, that, that, that's a, an altogether different period. And I, what I meant in the context of, oh, look, everybody's doing Swift open source projects for web servers. Cambrian explosion or Cambrian explosion, as they may say, is what I was looking for. <laughs> so for the nitpickers out there, uh, including myself. Uh, the other bit of follow-up was related to the Quartz News app. So I downloaded it and tried it out per uh, Aaron's recommendation as a pick of the week last time. And uh, it, it's pretty nifty. Um, I actually had a conversation with a friend of mine and we both agree with the same, uh, you know, refinement that could be made to it and that it's, you know, it's cute and all that it does the, uh, little chat bubble, like as if somebody's thinking and typing and interacting with you. Right. By golly, they really just need to remove about 500 milliseconds from that interaction or at the very least randomize the timing. Cause it's just a little too slow in between interactions. Oh, but other really? than that, it's working just fine oh. for me. Well, that's that's funny, and I never uh, never noticed that because I um yeah no I've never seen that like I I hit the whatever button to prompt uh, a, a returning action and I I don't mind like I think that I'm guessing that that delay is artificial you know when the bubble sure, comes out yeah. and, and little dots to indicate that they're typing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm pretty sure that's artificial. I I may be mistaken. So I'm saying it would be nice if they would remove, you know, if it's set to, I don't know, I haven't timed it. Let's say one and a half seconds, make it one second or or randomize it. It could take three seconds, could take half a second, uh, which is something that a real person could do when you're chatting on iMessage, right? Yeah, but I I found that in in chatting, I do a lot of chatting and texting and stuff like that with people online. And... um, I, I think it's a lot of times I'm standing there waiting for the answer to come in in, in, in a live chat with somebody. But uh, and to be honest, with you, I, I do have the app on the f- on my phone. I haven't really gone beyond you know just uh, setting it up. But I have been getting a lot of notifications on my watch, right from the from the app, right because it uses notifications to let you know what the stories are. Um, so that's kind of an interesting thing. But sometimes a little annoying. But you know, I probably get like two or three updates a day, kind of thing. Is that your experience with it? Yes, it is. Uh, I think actually today I received more than the usual number of notifications. And there's two types of notification, it seems. One is to to let you know that new stories are available in the app. Uh, yeah. But others are about the stock market, I think. And those are haiku uh, that appear on your watch. Right. And I wish that those would just go away and disappear. And <laughs> yeah, I think that's configurable. Be- I kind of remember explicitly leaving that on. Okay, here it comes. I'm gonna I'll have, to, come I'll have to dig through the settings on that one because I've I have been considering removing the haiku because I don't follow the. Yeah, stock I got one here enough. at two uh, thirty this afternoon. It says, "Cat stay off the ledge, even the plummet cushion, and something else." But like I said, and then there's something about Facebook moves beyond the like button. Yeah, I just got a couple from today. Yeah, but I have, like I said, I haven't really dug into the app and really started looking at it like you guys have. One thing that uh, I would like to see, and this is probably, I would expect their plan going forward, would be more interactivity in that chat. 
Because really, if you, you know, use it enough, you would notice that the chat is really just a, a script and, and a, a very static script that's mm-hmm. being followed through. Um, for every news article that you are first exposed to, you have the option to skip it or to get more detail. And it might have between one and three more detail buttons. And those buttons might be emoji or, or particular questions that they want, want you to ask to lead into the next point about that news item. Mm-hmm. But it would sure be cool to have the ability for me to type things in and have it respond. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, maybe that's coming. That's all. I, I don't know. I just think it would be very cool if it did something like that. Yeah, it's kind of, kind of like the concept of that, that therapist that used to... There was a, an app where you could... Um, Eliza. Eliza, thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. So here i got to discuss a story about Elon Musk's r- rocket company. Musk, blah, blah, blah. I'm reading that now, too. You know, you get into the app, too, and there's no way to configure it, right? Like, can can you go back at all? Like, is there... Oh, here it is. found it. Swipe from the left. One of those cool hidden ones. Turn off the market's haiku. Done. I think my life just improved. Yeah, and I wasn't sure that it would... I've got an ad for a mini ca- uh, club in here. I didn't wasn't sure that there'd be ads in the... Uh, yeah, those. it's the yeah. only app. Uh, the mini is their launch partner for ads. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. cool. So, there you go. Good follow-up there, Jaime. Thank you. Awesome. So I had a, a, a just a, a sort of a follow-up rebuttal. I was thinking about this when I was editing the podcast, and you mentioned during the show last time we were talking about software quality coming from Apple, and you made the statement that you had you didn't have it. You, you being Aaron. Oh, okay. Didn't have any problem with Apple software in the last little while. And my point that I've put in the sh- in the show notes here is. Um, that there was a there was a quite a bit of hue and cry last year while we were tr- suffering through Xcode six, especially with Swift uh, in the early days and, and source kit crashing left, right, and center. So there was much nothing of cheese, and I think I actually have recorded <laughs> experiences from the last couple of years of that too. So that's what I was referring to when I was talking about the the uh, surprising quality of software coming from Apple in the last little while. And, and the fact that the Xcode tools and the tools that we've talked about before being a blocker for people who want to, you know, learn Swift, right? Yeah, of course. We've, we've definitely covered a lot of ground where we've had issues with Apple software. There's no question about mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. Uh, my point last week was uh, it's gotten better. And I don't think that now, in particular, is a time where you could say it's been exceptionally bad. In fact, no, I think it's actually it's very, it's very good lately. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, on on your point about uh, Swift and SourceKit crashing, uh, it still happens. <laughs> yeah, you know, I haven't had a sort. I, I did. I've heard some team members mention that about SourceKit crashing, but I personally haven't experienced as many as I was experiencing back in the day. Right. So, you've had some every day, every day. SourceKit mm-hmm. crashes every day. Really? Anytime I get fancy in Swift. <laughs> source kit goes down like James Brown, okay. but it's much less intrusive than it used to be. So I think the source kit team made a major improvement and it wasn't to make it more stable. It was to make it less intrusive when it went down. Right. So, so how, do you, how do you know when it goes down? Is there, there's no, that, that big box used to come up, look like looking like a crash that doesn't come up anymore kind of thing or what happens now when you get a source kit crash? All right. I was just about to say that when you asked, well, thank you. <laughs> well let, let me, let me set you up then. There you go. You, you just did. You totally did. So, uh, just as Tim said, it was a modal dialog that would come up and sit in your face and block your ability to even type in Xcode. But now it's just a notification bar that goes across the top of the editor screen. Oh. And, uh, of course, you still notice the effect of source kit crashing because the syntax highlighting disappears, right? Right, yeah. That's your, that's your big clue. Uh, but uh, you can see the bar across the top, and it has a, 
a little button arrow on the right side where you can report it. Um, or is it to get help? I can't remember now. Here, I just open up Xcode and make, you know, crash. Just do something funny with a, an object filter. <laughs> Any one of those higher order functions, you do filter or, or map or flat map, and uh, almost every time it goes down. Hmm. Give it a shot. Using higher order functions there, Tim? Uh, sometimes. You ought to. Do it. And, and oh, yeah, mess with protocols. That's one Ooh. way for sure to get Swift to go down. Yeah, heard it here first. So, right. uh, yeah. On the whole, though, it's not bad. It's better. It's better. And, cool. you know, with still the provisos that, you know, there's, there's little oddities all over the place. But uh, the point is they don't stop me from doing my work. The Apple TV Tech Talk videos uh, from that tour from several months ago have gone up tonight. So there's a link in the show notes for that. Cool. Uh, it appears that the videos are not from Toronto. Mm. Alas. They are from some other location. That might um, be a good thing, actually. Maybe. Yeah, well, it was their first time, right? So they wanted the yeah. polished oh, versions, right? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, if you go to the page, you see that there are 11 sessions, 11 videos that you can watch, uh, which covers the program that Apple put on that day. So mm-hmm. uh, if you weren't there or if you were there and want to get it back, <laughs> relive the life, then here's where you go. So one thing that I found that will be handy for a lot of folks, I think, is that GitHub has now updated its web interface, mm-hmm. its UI, so you can drag and drop files directly to a repository. What? And it will it will let you choose to add it to a specific branch or to create a different branch and create a pull request. What so that's madness is this? Kind of cool. I don't necessarily have to use the command line. Who would do that? That's crazy. I think non-developers, I guess. This is for non-developers, right? That would be the, one of the biggest use cases that would come to mind. Like, it's been, um, at least in my experience, kind of painful to get designers to use this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's not exactly intuitive to use the command line, nor are the many you know, graphical user interface overlays on top of Git, like source tree and mm-hmm. um, you know, smart Git and Git tower and all these other ones. They're, you know, they're better, but they're still very developer-focused. It's not as easy as drag drop keep you know keep a history and and make it simple yeah and you see the example gif here is a designer dragging a psd (laughs) onto the window (laughs) so yeah if i think um you know if there were a team of developers and and one of them added a file to the repo by drag and drop on the on the browser window they'd probably get punished a talking to yes punished uh yeah <laughs> or at least mocked roundly well and of course there's the awesome uh app that our friend uh, rob ricks is involved with the github desktop app right so yeah github for mac desktop yes quite right yeah friend of the do, do people in other words you guys uh do you use that or do you go through uh xcode to handle all of your github stuff or um yeah no i use i use GitHub for other projects so if i'm doing a web project or something like that i'll use the github app sometimes um uh, it's it's got a nice it's it's you know very sort of a, it's got a nice diff engine so you can see what your changes are and that kind of stuff same similar to how you see them in source tree where you get the sort of the red and the, and the green sort of to show you what's coming and what's going kind of thing right so yeah of course i've been working with source tree at the, at the new job which is kind of an interesting interesting learning curve but <laughs> what about what about for Xcode projects? Do do people generally use? Well, don't tell the guys at work. I still use Xcode to commit stuff. But <laughs> okay, well, that's actually an interesting data point. So I I mostly use Xcode. Yeah. But I find for certain things, 
uh, I always go to the command line because it seems kind of delicate at times. Xcode seems kind of right. delicate. Yeah. There's, a, there's a few things that I've found that are really can be killers. Like if you uh, aren't careful about renaming uh, items inside asset libraries, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. rather, uh, Git has a lot of trouble with that. That's not so much a GitHub thing. It's a, it's a Git thing, though, in general. Uh, in particular, try try this one if you want to, you know, spend a few hours debugging. Pass. <laughs> take a in in an asset catalog. Take a any any file that you've got in there, any asset that has a name, and just change the capitalization of the name. Oh, oh really? <laughs> oh God. Once you know what's going on, it, it's relatively easy to figure out. But but the first time that happens to you, it'll be hours trying to debug what's going on with your repository. Yeah. I've always found that Xcode's handling of, of the asset libraries is, is a bit weird because I mean I as a, you know because I'm also a designer guy as well right mm-hmm. I'll often I'll often go to you know say show in Finder and I'll go if I want to modify a file I'll I'll open it up in Photoshop I'll make the change to it resize it whatever it is we crop it you know maybe turn the background off if I'm making a transparent PNG and then then save it back into the same place. And, you know, then, then run the app or whatever, and, and it kind of all works. But sometimes I find that um, Xcode's commenting in the project tree or project uh, view doesn't quite, it sort of thinks something's been changed, but it's not really sure, you know. Yeah. So I often, I often am leery about how Xcode indicates to me that things have changed in the asset library, right? You know, like if you, and if you try and right click on it and, and check it and or, or commit it, you'll see all the, all the images are listed there without being checked off, and it's very confusing. Yeah, it doesn't handle that well at all, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. So, hmm. but I also because I work on different projects for different people, I like to keep the provisioning profile in the project folder on the Mac, like on the Finder, right? Um, and so, of course, when you go to change branches in, in Git or, or in Xcode, it'll tell you, oh, you've got uncommitted changes because you have there you have to go to the command line and and commit those uh, those profiles because, you know, Xcode doesn't see them in the project, right? So, I mean, it doesn't see them in the listing, right? So, yeah, so I do often go to the command line for that kind of stuff. But, yeah, it's been a, it's been a challenge for me at the new job learning source tree and you know today i did some cherry picking and you know rebasing and that kind of stuff it's really challenging and then i guess i'm not sure if it's maybe it's uh i don't know if it's jira or something or, or stash is it stash the uh, the back end part or that does the pull requests um if you don't put your jira ticket id at the beginning of your commit statement it it doesn't it yells at you you know scolds at you so what I so what I've learned to do is is when I'm committing in Xcode, I'll just put the the, the ticket ID in the front of the commit, right? So one yeah. thing you mentioned in there was rebasing. That's another frustrating thing about Xcode is you can't yeah Xcode to rebase yeah you yeah can, or cherry pick either yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. Xcode I find Xcode's Git stuff uh, too terrifying for me. I've I've been burned by it before. There was a previous version of Xcode that had issues with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't even remember what it was, but the solution was to turn it off. Uh, and uh no problem since then but i'm a command line guy i use i use the git client on the terminal and and that's it but i do use the github client for mac from time to time uh to uh give me a nice graphical look at the files that are currently changed in my staged commit Mm -hmm. uh or on stage changes i guess you could say so i can see exactly what files are going to be committed and what changes were made in them and that that can be useful sometimes uh, so it's a nice tool to have on hand for that. Other yeah. than that, though, command line all the way. 
But one thing I'll say I like about um, Source Tree is that you can actually see the the branches. You know, because we've got some groups of twenty developers working on things, right? So um, it's nice to sort of see the how the branches come off, and you can sort of follow it back down and see where you are. I don't know if there's another tool that graphically shows you the tree that way. Well, you can see that on GitHub site and in the Mac client. In the Mac client, you can see. Oh yeah, in the Mac yeah. client, I haven't tried it there, but yeah. Well, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm the old developer at home, right? So interesting stuff. It's there actually. I think it was part of the the most recent update. Oh, okay, to the okay. Client, yeah, which I mean, was a major update. I mean, they had a lot of new stuff in there. Hmm. I'll have to go back and take a look at it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I tend to fall back on the command line because that's sort of, you know, that's... It's the only thing you can trust. It makes it's sense, It's the only thing yeah. you know works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. How did we get here? Oh, we got here Git. because, you know, Jaime was talking about GitHub drag and drop. Drag and drop. Yeah. It's so cute that you can drag and drop. Mm-hmm. It's adorable. <laughs> <laughs> do not do this. <laughs> Unless you're using GitHub for something else. Make your plans now to come to Nashville, Tennessee and attend the best tech conference being held this year. Indie DevStock isn't just about learning the latest Apple frameworks or how to program in Swift. Indie DevStock is about making connections. Our speakers will share their stories, experiences, and ideas with you. Through their words, you'll gain a better understanding of the challenges indies face, and more importantly, how to overcome them. It doesn't matter if you're currently a successful indie developer, just starting out, or trying to decide if going indie is right for you. We're all in this together. In addition to the inspiration talks, you'll also have an opportunity to attend hands-on tech talks to help level up your skills. During this two-day event, not only will you get to experience Southern hospitality at its finest, but you'll also get to hear some of the best live music around while enjoying all Nashville has to offer. For more information and to buy your ticket, go to www.indiedevstock.com. We hope to see you there. So yeah, what is this DevMate thing coming? So I, I brought this up because it came up, um, actually it came up in advertising, funny enough, and I'm not a Mac developer, so I don't really know uh, enough about how useful this sort of thing is, but it's apparently a developer platform that um, it includes an SDK as well as backend services to help it make it easier to do uh, licensing, updating, crash reports, and so forth outside of the Mac App Store itself. Uh, apparently, it also does uh, analytics as well. And apparently, this used to be some sort of uh, paid service, but now it's free for life for reasons that are unclear to me. It's just uh, a change in the business model. They, they've got us. Yeah, they've got a uh, a level that is paid. So it's not a it's not a totally free product. Uh, if you go to the pricing page, you'll see that it's a basic version that's free, which has m- many of the features that they offer. But there are. Uh, more features that they offer for a paid package. And so this is a way to get more people in the door. It's just a change in business model to me. Sure, yeah. Ah, I see, I see. Okay, cool. I just assumed they had gotten purchased by somebody like Twitter or something, just like Crashlytics and Fabric went from yeah. you know this this kind of pricing model to completely free forever. Yeah, um, this actually reminded me of a book that's been published um, called Make Money Outside the App Store. Mm. And that, um, 
I guess it's not brand new. I was just hearing about it this week, though, for the first time. I'll put a link into the show notes for you. Cool. And uh, this book is just sort of a it's a it's a guide to get you started with how to use various services, uh, including FastSpring, which is a payment uh, service for that apps can use. Uh, it's got an SDK. Um, so this is a different path that you can take than using. Uh, I've already forgotten DevMate. <laughs> And, uh, uh, but if you're a Mac app developer and you don't want to be on the app store, you want to bust it old school as it were, then, uh, then this is a book that you can check out, sell or make money outside the Mac app store. And that link is in the show notes. So There's no rhyme or reason to these notes. No, no. Like, like life itself. It, it what, really what is, is. What uh, is hardened iPhone? I, just want to throw I have no idea who posted this. I posted this. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was this evening. Um, you might want to append this to our earlier discussion about Tim Cook's interview because uh, this is news uh, coming tonight and reported variously, but uh, this particular link is from Recode.net, you know, Walt Osberg's site. Oh, yes. Uh, and uh, I don't even know what's going on with him anymore. So he's moved to The Verge, right? And so Recode is The Verge or... Uh, I don't even know anymore. Who can keep track? So anyway, the, it's been reported tonight that, hey, guess what? Apple is, is working on making iPhones harder to break into. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder why. I'm just going to scratch my head. Hmm, why would they do that? What could possibly motivate them? Well, guess what? It's happening, baby. So um, there's just news that Apple is looking to add uh, more intense security features mm. that would prevent the government from using the techniques that they're asking Apple to use to get into the iPhone. That poor 5C, which anybody could crack, but uh, apparently they need Apple's help now. <laughs> so, um, yeah, just goes without saying, harder iPhone, uh, that's, it's just Apple going to, you know, do what it does best. Make it more secure. <laughs> Unfortunately, that mm-hmm. won't solve the problem, right? Because once the precedent is there that Apple couldn't, rewrite the operating system to break into anything then any right. security measures they put in they can always just rewrite ios to get around those do you think so i guess <laughs> uh it's a complex issue of course and so i don't fully understand it but if there were some way that you know they could one way encrypt the device somehow right mm-hmm. and there certainly there there must be ways to make it all well, but they um, already have that, right? It's it already. Use, I, I believe it already uses a, a private key encryption scheme. Yeah, of sort. it does. It must, yeah. right? So that's why they need to guess the password and and have the fast password checking. Mm. Yeah, yeah. There's right. So everything is is encrypted already. So I don't know how much more secure than that you can get. I checked a couple of things based on our conversations from last week, just some sort of facts, because we, we sort of were guessing at some of this stuff. But um, it was since the 3GS that uh, they added the uh, hardware, like it uses, it uses some sort of ID in the device to uh, sign the, the data as well as your passcode. And that's why they can't just take the like the memory out of this phone and stick it into another one, the kind of thing, because it is signed by the actual device as well. Um, and then it was, Mark asked last week, when did we get the next level of security, which was the data encryption with the Apple ID stuff? And that was in iOS 8. So, and I, pu- I put a link in the show notes here on uh, fr- some frequently asked questions about security that Apple's published as as a follow-up right. to, the, to the letter as well as some, uh, I, I tweeted about it last week, but I'll put it in the show notes about uh, the, the, the piece I just t- told about the um, 
3GS being the first sort of phone when they started doing the hardware key. And um, there's also uh, there's a document right now on iOS 9 security that Apple published as a white paper to sort of explain all the bits and pieces. I'll put that in the show notes as well for people if they want to check that out. That's all I have to say. Okay. Yeah. I, I got to <laughs> think that there are ways to make it even more secure. Oh, yeah. Even more. But, Mark, your contention is that there's no way they could make it secure enough that they themselves could not overcome it. Well, I don't know. I don't know enough <laughs> about it but, it, but it seems like it, right? Yeah. That, uh, that is a depressing thought. I mean, I suppose, you know, if, 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 the, if the whole argument about the reason they need to be able to uh, electronically try passwords very fast is that even with the four or, or however many the new what's what's the new one six uh success six no no the six six digits in password oh, in the latest yes one. so yeah that's a huge number of combinations takes you know at the normal with the with the delay that they have in there now it takes something like five years to to yeah. break it you know just yep. just by trying to brute force uh so if they made that 12 characters long then you know, even with taking away that built-in delay, it's probably longer than, than uh, you know, it's getting longer than the lifetime of the universe. Well, there's there's even there's any alpha numeric now. You can do alpha numeric as yeah. well. So that that just raises the roof on how long it'll take, right? Oh yeah. Well, let's actually let's let's have a little security corner, shall we? Okay. All right. Sidebar. So if you have an iPhone 5s or later, anything with Touch ID, mm-hmm. go in and. Turn off the four-digit passcode. Turn on the alphanumeric passcode, and enter something silly like Snoopy Fluffy Pants thirty-eight. <laughs> I just made that up now. And then every, every, all of our fans are going to have the same password now. You that's right. The that. FBI is going to try it, and it's like unlock all the phones. <laughs> well, okay. So make up your own and make it long. Okay, make it make it twelve characters of of letters and numbers, um, and and then turn on Touch ID. Okay, so once you have Touch ID turned on, it's unlocked by that long password, but you hardly ever have to enter it, right? Mm -hmm. You have to enter it maybe every two days because, stupid iPhone, every two days I wake it up in the morning and go to turn it up uh, on with my Touch ID, and it says, nope, you have to re-enter your passcode now. Really? After two days? Yes, it's it's either two days or three days. Two days days of unuse, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 not two days of unuse. Two days, just two days. Oh, no, I don't run into that. I do run into that with my iPad if I haven't used it for a number of days, right? That's intentional. They have that built in. Yes, I know. I know it's intentional. But I I wish I I could get two days. Uh, For me, it's a a few hours, usually. Really? Really? Yep. Yep. Oh, so there's something Uh, weird going on then. You have an untrustworthy thumb. That's all there is to it. it Maybe so. I think there's a bug there because my iPhone and my iPad react differently, and I use both every day. Um, there's probably no more than what, like, ten hours. You know, the time I might stop using a device and go to sleep, wake up, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, get ready in the morning and start using it again. There's clearly not even close to 24 hour difference, uh, much less 48. My iPhone will just work wonderfully. Yeah, and, mine too. And Touch ID never cares. The iPad will. You know, on rare occasion, maybe once a week, if I mapped it out, would just say, no, no, no. Even though you used Touch ID last night, I need you to use your passcode again. Oh, <laughs> wow. So there's something else going on. There's something more to it. Yeah, my iPad, is, I have the same experience. If I, if I don't touch my iPad for like a couple of days, no, no, I'm that's fine. But, never uh, but happened. otherwise, Touch ID works for me all the time. So, Jaime, you have an iPhone 6 Plus, right? That's correct. Yeah, you and me. High five, virtual high five. 
because I never have to. I never have to. I mean, unless unless I, I reboot the phone, I don't have to enter the into I the doubt it's code. because of the model of phone. I'm just high fiving high. Okay, like go it. ahead and high five them then. So yeah, to me, it's every morning. Uh, you know, it's always in the morning. I pull the phone off my charger and. Every two to three days, I can't remember which, it, it, it's asking for that passcode. But the, anyway, let's leave that aside for a sec. The point is, is that you don't have to enter it nearly as often, right? Yes. Uh, so if you do have that passcode, that four-digit passcode, and you're entering it every time you open your phone, you're doing that about 80 times a day. Uh, otherwise, with Touch ID, you don't have to do it at all, mm-hmm. except for these you know, seldom occasions. <laughs> that seems more variant than I thought. <laughs> So. Yeah, that's it's that is really odd. I, I I mean, like I said, I really only run across that on on my iPad because I there, I go days without using it, right? But yeah, it's weird. Anyway, it's interesting now that you mention that because on my iPad I never have a problem. It's only on my iPhone. Huh? That's interesting. What were you guys saying about the two things coming off the same production line won't be the same last week? Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> the sensors true. we were talking about. Fairy dust. It's fairy dust they put in these iPhones. Okay, so that was cool. But uh, definitely give yourself a long password. Do yeah, you should. Yeah, we'll wait here. We'll wait here. Just pause this. Do it. Come back. Yeah, you know, I'm su- I'm often surprised at how many people don't use passcodes on their phone because they think it'll take too long to get into them. I was actually actually at lunch today showing somebody how to use how easy it was to encode your fingerprint to to open your phone. Yeah, you know, and then of course you know maybe you don't know this or not, but once you've got your fingerprints in there, you can actually label them <laughs> in terms of which finger it was. Yeah. So what I do with my wife and myself is is I'll do like three fingers and I'll get her to do her index finger or something on my phone as a as a backdoor, if you will. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I wish it did more than five. I wish I could store yeah. ten. Yeah, because I I would like to store at my least four toe. of my own fingers. Yes, but then I'd like my wife to have one, my daughter to have one, um, and so boom, I can't I can't have four of my fingers in there because. Yeah, I can't go. remember. It was a tweet or something I saw a couple of years ago when Touch ID first came out about a guy who woke up in the morning to find his son lowering his finger down onto onto the, <laughs> the dad's iPhone. <laughs> That's so great. <laughs> I love that story. Yeah. So actually, can I go back? I just want to go back in time here. Um, again, <laughs> literally and figuratively. Okay, so Man, totally what is the Cambrian that. explosion? Okay. <laughs> I mean? Um, I don't have the Wikipedia article up in front of me. I was looking at it right before. I can tell you. Uh, is it, is vaguely. It, but it, it, it's essentially the, the time period in the fossil record where we went from almost nothing to just this... Every, just about every, uh, well, I'm going to screw up the biology here too. Every type of creature, right? You know, the broad classes of, you know. The phylum and the family. Let's say like and... insects, let's say, you know, amoebas, like all these other different things, right? All the different like animal the kingdom, the fauna, plant kingdom yeah, kind of things. Yeah. All of a sudden they just appear in the fossil record. So that's considered the right. Cambrian explosion from uh, nothing to almost everything. It was 542 million years ago. And that's what, two minutes, three minutes till midnight? Lasting for about the next 20 to 25 million years. It's relatively a blink in time, if you will. Mm-hmm. Okay, sorry. Thanks. Yeah, so there you go. There you go. Look it up. Here, we'll put it in the show notes just so you can, you know, yeah. anybody else who's interested can uh, look at it. Cambrian, Cambrian explosion. Does it have to like, do with Cambridge, by the way? Not at all. <laughs> okay, there you curious. go. <laughs> well, next? while we're on that topic, how about uh, Kitura, which is yet another... Uh, and, and I say that in the most positive way, right? I'm not passing judgment. It's a another web services framework for Swift server-side from IBM. And this one is apparently based on the design for ExpressJS, if folks are familiar with that. 
what was the one we talked about last week that was designed based on Express? Uh, I'd have to look. We talked back. about uh, Blackfish and what else? Swifter. Swifter. Swifter yeah. yeah, and it was Blackfish that I was looking at, and uh, it says it right here. Check out this lightweight Sinatra Express kind of web framework for Swift. So it looks like it's a very popular model, right? Because I think it's because it's simple um, to build for. Mm-hmm. So the idea being that you you create methods in uh, a class of some kind and uh, respond to uh, paths essentially. So like you create a router, uh, you you call the get method, and you as as the argument give the path. So a slash is of course the index, and so you can just write out what the response would be and pass back an HTTP response. Uh, it's very similar to all kinds of frameworks that are, that are like this. You know, I, I said last week, uh, like Sinatra, and uh, and apparently like ExpressJS, um, which is Node, right? Node, Express, same things? Related? I don't even know. Yeah, Express is a web framework for Node. That's right. right. There you go. Okay. So um, it's, a, it's a pretty, uh, I think, easy to understand way to build web services. Um, there's an article here that Jaime pasted in that's just amazing. It's It's awesome. Uh, from Developer Works on IBM's site uh, about building an actual app uh, called Build End-to-End Cloud Apps Using Swift with Kitura. And what a read. Holy cow. Did you read this, Jaime? Like, I didn't, like, go, bong, this is amazing. I mean, I kind of skimmed <laughs> through it because I wasn't following along um, as this more tutorial-ish kind of thing would do. But it right. was it was pretty easy to get the, the gist of it, right? It's, you can it's, totally see what they're doing here. Yeah, there's a lot of, like convention over configuration type things that uh, at least I kind of remember from Ruby on Rails kind of uh, going with that that idea. And, yeah. and looking at the GitHub project here for Kitura, they've given you tons of options. You can install on OS ten on Linux. You can use Docker. You can use Vagrant. I mean, if you've got... I mean, other than Windows, I suppose. Uh, if you've got a particular Windows, what's that? you want to use... Wait. Uh, they've what's done Windows? A, Really good job of helping create a community here. At least kickstart one. Yeah. Looks good. I mean, the fact that IBM is behind it, of course, makes it more important uh, than, say, Swifter or Blackfish, which, you know, are private projects, right? And we haven't even spoken about... I've even forgotten the name. Perfect? Mm-hmm. Yes. We did talk about the, Perfect. We did, yes, when it first came out, and that was before Swift went open source. But I haven't heard anything about that of late. Right, I'm sure it's still there and all. Well, but. they did. They did give us an opportunity to look at it as well, and they're listening to the show right now. <gasps> Where? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they do indeed, but um, it's not like it hasn't been something I haven't heard of. Um, maybe well, I'm of just not in the right circles. I hear a yeah. little bit of it here and there uh, about things that have come up for it. I think things are just so early stage in this. You know what's going on in this Cambrian explosion of things that. Uh, it hasn't really what you did there. settled down as to what, uh, you know, I imagine there's probably going to be a handful of these that are super popular, right? Like, look at the Python community where you pretty much are do, doing Flask, Django, or uh, Pyramid, right? There, there's some other smaller projects, but those are those are the big heavy hitters. Can you name those again, please? Uh, Flask, like the bottle. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Django, like Unchained. Like, I know what Django is, yeah. And uh, Pyramid, like Egyptian. Never heard of Pyramid. What's what's Pyramid? It's a web framework for Python. Wow, I did not know that. Okay, isn't there Pylons as well, or is that something else? Oh, that sounds familiar. Yeah, probably. 
Yeah. You guys are making stuff up now. <laughs> yeah, I feel I feel like yeah, you've got to be making Pylons stuff up. Project. Oh, uh, web application Pylons development in Python. Oh, oh. Pylons. Yeah, so Pyramid used to be. I, I just went to the pylonsproject.org webpage and it looks like it is now called Pyramid. How about that? <laughs> what do you know? It's chaos out there. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So here's a bit of follow-up on the Apple Pencil discussion. I know I call it pen from time to time, but there you go. Apparently, there's a bit of brouhaha about what's in uh, iOS 9.3 beta in that you can't use your iPad, your pencil, to navigate the UI. This has been resolved. Has it? Yeah, it got resolved like yesterday. Cool. Um, Apple put out a statement saying, yeah, we just didn't get that. um, or We were having problems with the functionality. Sure. We removed it for these betas, but we are putting uh, it back. Cool. Um, so alarm over. Everybody mm-hmm. can go back in the building. All righty. That one doesn't smell right to me. You think that was a response to the 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 hue and cry? I mean, yeah, it, it feels like the furor of somebody said, "Yeah, just turn off that feature flag." You know, we we, we have design reasons we don't want to allow it, and then everybody was so mad they said, "Forget yeah, it." Yeah. <laughs> Let's actually figure this out. Yeah, I was I was actually kind of pondering that maybe it was a uh, you know an issue that people may have had with the tool sets. You know, if you're trying to use the iPad and and you accidentally toggle something or gesture some way and it you know exits the program or whatever, you know that somebody thought, well, here's a here's a way to you know fix that bug. Well, just yeah. turn it off, right? You know, but yeah, no, no. I use my iPad or my pencil all the time to, you know, type in the keyboard, tap the keypad, and stuff like that. What about Tim? I was going to ask you, Tim, what happens when you use the pencil on text? Does it select uh, it? So oh, you've got a block know. of text in an editing. You mean, you mean like like as if pressing with my finger kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's the same behavior. I actually haven't tried that, but I'll have to give it a shot now that you've mentioned it. Yeah, like I like um, you know, it's funny. It's one of those things where I have a I have the pencil in my hand, but I also have these other five things in my hand as well called fingers. So it's very quick to sort of just you know, if I want to select something, I just my brain just goes select, and the finger hits the hits the glass, and and I and I do it right. So, so I hadn't tried that, but I'll I'll give that a shot. I would I would like to know that. It it is odd though. Like I still the the pencil it it's a bit it's a bit hard. So it's kind of it's feels kind of awkward to be tapping on the glass with the tip of it. You know when you're typing and stuff like that. So, but is it? It's a kind of a strange feeling. Hmm. Because you know, like selecting text with your finger is is to me has always felt very imprecise. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And uh, especially uh, doing a selection of a single word versus an arbitrary number of words right, or, yes. or parts of a sentence, grabbing those little uh, handles on the ends of the text selection uh, is a very imprecise mo- move, and I have a hard time with it sometimes. Um, and I feel like with a pencil that it could be, if if it's implemented correctly, it could be a much more natural operation. Like imagine, I'm, I'm just thinking here, I'm spitballing, so tell me if this is even close to reality. I'm going to go but, grab my iPad. All right. Uh, the thing I'm thinking of is that you would take the pencil and, and put it down at the beginning of a word that you wanted to select and then sort of hold, press down a little harder maybe because it can detect pressure, right? And then drag it, just drag it across the words that you want to have selected and the selection is updating live. And, and until you lift the pencil off the glass, uh, it's in selection mode. I feel like if, if it worked like that, it would be a much more precise thing than selecting a word and then adjusting the handles on the, on the selection. 
No, and I, I do agree. Um, I learned a long time ago, you know, the, the trick about rolling your finger to try and move the cursor between one letter and another. And, and I was doing some text selection earlier today, and it was, for some reason, it was being really obtuse and not working. But let's give this a shot. Okay. Let me put my finger on the Touch ID sensor and open up my iPad. Oh, look. Yeah. It just worked. It just worked. And just the other thing, you know, what? while while you're doing that, Tim, another thing that I'm sort of uncertain about is if you know on the iPad in iOS 9, it has the two fingers on the keyboard to put the cursor into selection mode, Yeah, uh, which is a really wonderful way to navigate around a block of text with the cursor because it's very fluid and very fast, right? But there's also a mode where you can have your two fingers make a selection on the screen. So I just, it, I'm not clear on how to activate that though. It's like you keep one finger still and then move the other and a selection starts. I'm trying to do it right now and I'm not able to. Do you know what I'm talking about? Does anyone know what I'm talking about? I've not tried that one. I've done the, you know, ah, put the two it. fingers down on essentially the space bar is where I've been able to trigger it the most reliably. Oh, I can do it anywhere if I put two fingers down. And I can continue a selection that started very easily. But... Uh, it's very. It feels very unreliable about selecting. It's tricky, but uh, moving the cursor—that's no problem at all, mm-hmm. with two fingers. But selecting, it's there. That capability's there, but it seems imperfectly implemented. That I have a very difficult time making it work. If anybody, if like maybe I'm just doing it wrong, and there's a, <laughs> you know, there's there's a way to do it right, and I just don't know what it is. It's, hang on, I'm going to send you guys a movie. Ooh, I love movies. I just made you a movie. I love movies, Tim. By the way, I, I tried... Where's the I, link? I, yeah, I was using my pencil to select some... Or to, to move the cursor in the text. Yes. So let me... Uh, it's gonna, I'm dragging off my phone. Uh, did, you, did you, like, make a screencast? Yeah, while you were talking. Oh, I love that. So I find if you, if you have the cursor in the middle of some text somewhere, and then yeah. do a, just a double tap on the keyboard... So they're touching at the same time. <gasps> double tap. Then, not, I'm sorry, not a double tap, but two-finger single tap. Oh, okay. Well, no, a, a two-finger long press, actually, is what it is. <laughs> and then you move either your left or your right finger past the bounds of, the, of either end of the, of the selection. It will move the selection window. Yes, it's, it's tap and hold to enter selection mode. Yeah, I see that now. Right. Oh, that makes a lot more sense. Oh, yeah. Whereas, whereas, okay, if you do a single long press and then put your second finger down and move your second finger, then it, it moves the cursor without changing the selection. Yeah. Get the difference? Oh, yeah, I get it now, Mark. That's, that's yeah. yeah, that's it. That's it right there. I tried it's it a the second time press. and it didn't work, but it did once. Let's see. It's funny. It's, it seems to be a way to delete text as well. Once you have something selected and you, oh, and then uh, you just... make a selection. Yeah. Actually, if you, if, you, if you highlight something and then hit the delete key, of course, it will delete what you selected. It's, it, that makes a lot more sense. Thank you, Mark. That uh, actually helps me a lot. <laughs> um, there you go. And so Tim is pasting in a link here to this oh, video. Oh, right. yeah, you know, Speaking of delete, so when I had something highlighted... And then I just left swept, it deleted what was highlighted. Yeah. That's a new one. 
It is still a little. It's a little know, twitchy. It, time, right? <laughs> it is unquestionably twitchy. <laughs> okay, so if you have something highlighted, do a long press with your with one finger, then touch down with the second finger, sweep left with the second finger, and it deletes what you had highlighted. Ah, clear as mud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tim, do you want to uh, give us like the Cole's Notes version of what happened when you use your pencil? Oh yeah, Just, so, you know, for people so, in their car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I was tapping on the. Um, that was for you, Jaime. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I was tapping on the. Uh, so I, you know, you like if I wanted to select some text, I would just you know tap with my finger or press and hold, right? Mind you, I'm in notes, so maybe notes is different. But when I when I put the pencil there, I can move. I can I get the little magnifying glass kind of thing come up, and I can move the pencil back and forth between the text between each character. Magnifying glass. Yeah, you know, you know when you press and hold your finger on your iPad and or your iPhone. And oh you, yes, and, of and you get that little magnifying glass that shows you what's underneath your finger. Right. I get that, but uh, how do I select this word? Oh no, I guess I have to say select. Hang on, let me try, let me try it with a pencil. Pencil. Yeah, it doesn't. Oh, there we go. Select. Okay, I can grab. The, oh, I can grab the little handly thing. Oh, I should have made that part of the video. Sorry, Aaron. Yeah, yeah, it works just like my finger, except much more precise, as you said. Oh, I see it on. Twitter. What's so that? So you just posted the video on Twitter. Oh, random. Yeah, you, you, <laughs> thanks. Thanks for the magic of YouTube and Twitter telling everybody what I'm doing. Hmm. Yeah. See, what I would like, I, I've already explained what I want. So this isn't it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um. So it's not doing what I want it to do. You mean like to be able to, to, to grab Select. little handles and stuff? Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. I don't want to grab handles. I want. I want the grab handles to be. Yeah. Yeah. Made I'm, I'm making irrelevant. Another, I'm making another movie. Okay. Make more movies. <laughs> Keep talking. All right. Okay. Well, Record. I think I, you know, as far as I'm concerned, we're done with this, man. Okay. We'll we'll see if that movie, you know, does what we want it to do. My breath is unheld. Oh, that was a photo. That's not what I wanted. Never mind. <laughs> Can't be done. I'll do it later. Let's Moving do picks. All right. Let's go around the table as we usually do. And then what do we do, Aaron? <laughs> we stop at me. <laughs> and what do we do when we stop at you? I I come up with a pick, and sometimes sometimes I disappoint you with no pick. Okay, and, and what are you going to do this week? Well, this week I'm actually, I didn't have a pick, but I, I realized uh, a few minutes ago that there was one thing that happened this week that nobody else has talked about on this show. And that, Tim, is your new video series for RayWenderlich.com. Ding! Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I've only seen the introduction, of course, because I'm not a member of RayWenderlich.com. Ding! Mm-hmm. Uh, so I watched your two-minute intro to your course. Right. Do you care to talk about it a little bit? This, this uh... should be your chance to kind of say a little thing or two about what it is. Sure. Well, I, you know, months ago we were talking about extensions and, and I was trying to drop a few hints, but I couldn't really say at the time that I was working on this video series for... No, start- you're a very tight-lipped man. Yeah. Um, anyway, so, yeah, this is my first uh, video series on... It's basically f- nine videos. So it's four, first four are on photo extensions. So um, adding functionality to from your app that you make into the actual iPhone uh, Photos app. Um, and the second part of the series is on uh, adding today extensions, like in the, in the case we use to you know scrape stuff from uh, the Ray Winterlake site and, and have it show up as a t- today extension and that kind of stuff. So just how to how to build you know add the target to your your app and the classes that you need to use to do that kind of stuff. And I have to I have to give a shout out to our, our guest host Greg Keo because I'm actually updating his series that he did back in 2014. So. My job was to basically update it for Swift 2.0 and uh, re-record the videos and that kind of stuff. So, 
So I have a green screen here at home and I have lights and the camera. And that's what I've been doing. It's a lot of work. <laughs> if you're thinking Boy. it looks easy, it's it's pretty tough. And, you know, so uh, there's a lot I was of... never under that impression, just for the record. It looked like a ton of work. Yeah, and it's, it's very tough to sort of go from, you know, being just a voice on a microphone on a podcast or even just a teacher in front of a class because, you know... Because video not... killed the radio star? Is that what you're going to <laughs> Yeah, get? no, I mean, no, no. So, so I mean, the thing about this is, like, there's a couple of things you have to consider. Like, one is that you have to sound, you have to be very cheery and upbeat, right? Um, and I think I've, I, you know, I'm, I'm from the school of uh, where, you know, you act cool and you never smile and you, you know, scowl at people all the time. So I've been doing that for 50 some odd years. And so to have to be smiley and happy and let's learn about photo extensions is kind of it's it's a bit of a challenge. The other thing is is talking really slowly so that people who don't speak English as their first language can follow what you're saying about these things. <laughs> you know, so that's super oh, tough. Wow. But I have to also give a shout out to Joe Shapinsky and his the people over at Bombing Brain because I use Teleprompt Plus as my teleprompter. So and that's kind of a cool app. I probably should make it a pick someday. But in a, in a nutshell, you basically upload your your talk to your uh, iPhone, and then you use a, it's a. I have a teleprompter from Parrot, which is like a one way mirror that you put your iPhone in front of the the camera, and then you with your iPad you stream the uh, the talk from the iPad to the iPhone, and then you can see it on. And you're looking right at the camera, so that's a bit of movie magic for you guys. You're using an iPad, an iPhone, and a dedicated piece of hardware. Yeah, so the teleprompter, the parent, <laughs> parent, tele, te, parent, I think it's called teleprompter. It fits over top of the camera lens on the tripod, and you and you set your iPad, your iPhone on it. It's got like a a mirror at 45 degrees. So while I'm looking at the camera, I, just like you know when Obama gives a speech, he's looking at a piece of glass that's got. His, sure, I've seen those. Yeah, yeah, same sort of idea. But what's cool about what Bombing Brain's done is you can you can sync from. I guess it's kind of sort of a pick. You can um, you can write your you write your whole piece and you, you upload it to either uh, um, Google Google Drive or iCloud, and then the, you can pull it down from there. You can do final tweaks on it and do some editing in the app, and then you actually set your phone up as a remote and you stream the. The video to, oh, the, to the phone. Oh, I see. So yeah. the phone is the remote control to change to change the speed of the. No, well, the iPad becomes the remote control to change the speed, and you can scroll oh, okay. up and down. So you know you can scroll up and down, and you know if you flub something up, you can scroll back down and, and read it again, kind of thing. So I see. I see. Yeah. I see. So it's okay. challenging. Yeah. Challenge. You were so well groomed in that video, I must say. <laughs> you know, compared to the Tim that we see. In I know. Person. I want to wear my hat, but you know. I'm, Tammy, yeah. get, Tammy gets to wear her hat. How come it's not fair, right? So nope. no, it's not. No, it's not. Yeah, no. So you're gonna I, do more of these? Do you think? I, I've this... just done another series. It's it's in post production. So okay. Yeah, I mean, just in terms of how long it takes. This is I started this in the fall. This series you're watching now. So oh wow. I was a little worried that you know Swift 2.5 was going to come out before it before the video hit the streets, right? Sure. So make sure you put a link in the notes to where this is. Sure. Sure. Yep. Yeah, and it's it's interesting. You know, it's a uh, it's a fun thing to do. So. But like I said, I have to give Greg uh, a lot of kudos because he wrote the original. He wrote the app and and the original uh, talk, and I'm just sort of parodying what he said. Really, added a few things in there, like app transport security and that kind of stuff. But you know, cool, like that. So that's Aaron's pick. That was Aaron's pick. Alrighty, I seem to be doing all the talk at that time. Yeah. So uh, you're gonna finish. So what do you do next after you, after we you do your pick, Aaron? What, what happens next? Oh, I think we go talk to Jaime. Jaime, do you have a pick? I do. Of course. And it is a game for the Apple Watch. 
that is called uh, by Matt Wycheck, and it is a tiny game of Pong. I'm just going to surmise that it's probably using watchOS 2 under the covers. I didn't do enough research. All I did was I downloaded the app. I think it's free to try out, and it's no, it's a not. $0.99 cent in-app purchase, I thought. Yeah. I might be wrong. It's actually it's $0.99 cents to buy it, and there is a $0.99 cent in-app purchase for something. I'm not quite sure what. There's different modes. There's like arcade mode and a couple other things. I think you get different colors, right? So if you wanted to uh, match the red band that you're wearing with your watch, you could do so. Um, In any case, it's uh, it's kind of what you would think. You use the digital crown to move the paddle left and right. Oh, really? That's cool. And it's it's pong. It's it's uh, admittedly a little uh, a little twitchy. Um, so yeah. for hardcore competitive <laughs> reasons, it's uh, not one I would necessarily recommend for that. Um, I like it because it tickles me pink to think that, you know, this is in the arcades, big old machine, and now it is on my wrist as just one app of many. So, so is it you versus the computer kind of thing? Or no. yes. can somebody else play with you? Uh, no. I haven't actually tried out that part. I mean, uh, yes. I didn't see if it had Game Center. You can track your high scoring Game Center. I didn't see anything about playing other players. Now, I saw this. I saw your link here, and I, did, I actually didn't go look at it, but I just but fell off my chair when I when I saw the actual picture posted on the site. It's hilarious. It's hard. So, but an interesting point though is I thought we didn't have access to the digital crown. I guess unless it's a table view, I believe. Right? Do you guys know? Like, I think um, it's amazing that they were able to do that. I wonder because because one of our, our one of our developer buddies was asking the other day whether we have access to, to the digital crown. Do you guys know? Clearly, uh, you mean like direct access? No. I don't recall, and I'd have to look back at WWDC videos to see what happens with that. But uh, maybe they kind of hacked around it. Maybe it's got a hidden, you know, picker somewhere that it's changing from one to one hundred to move left and right. For all I know, I wouldn't be surprised if it were something like that. Mac has a pick. All right, is he it? Want, he wants to go shake, outside. Shake. He wants to go outside. His pick is going to pee. Yeah, I'll be right back. Well, yeah, you got lots of time. You could ask Mark if he has a pick. No, actually, you're, I'm letting you run this part. I am running this part. Mark, do you got a pick? I don't have a pick. Oh, oh. But. But. <laughs> I found an article talking about how to access the digital crown on Watch OS 2. Tell us so, more. Uh, Paste Lincoln. Let's have a look at it. It's a Stack Overflow article. So that... Okay. Use an interface picker and add a dummy array to it with the same number of steps as the slider. But don't show the picker in the interface. <laughs> then in the picker's IB action func picker action value int, use that to update the value of the slider to match. If you set the picker's focus style to none and indicator to disabled, then no one needs to know it's there. Huh. Trixie. Trixie. Yep, so suffice to say it's possible. And I mean, if it's the whole point of your game, you know, then I guess you could go to the trouble to find out and make it work. <laughs> Yeah, especially if the minimum dimensions are like two by two, there's plenty of black space to fit that that thing in there. That's right. Well, that's cool. Okay, so that uh, put that in the show notes. I will do that for you. Don't worry, I'm here for you, man. <laughs> but the timing is good, Tim, because you're back. Let's have your pick. All right. So my pick is a little link that I found today from uh, one of the buddies over at RayWonderLike.com. I want to just make sure Ross O'Brien. From Manchester, England, he posted a link today that uh, to hackingwithswift.com. They've published a test to test your Swift knowledge. 
Um, and there's three different levels. There's a novice, novice level, intermediate level, and expert level. And uh, you can take it, and it's very, it's uh, you know one of these like online tests where you uh, get presented a little bit of code, and you have to come up with the uh, appropriate answer of what you think uh, will be there. Like for instance, it says, it says here import foundation let number equal sixteen dot zero, uh, and then print number squared is number times number, and its square root is, and then the square root function and number, and then you have to just you have to say what the output will be from the from the tool, whether it's like 16 squared is 256 and its square root is four, or this code won't compile or the app will crash or whatever, whatever it is. And if so, if you've been doing a little bit of Swift and you decide to take this test, I'll give you a bit of a hint. A lot of this stuff doesn't compile, but you have to know why it doesn't compile. So it's really interesting. So I got, I got tripped up on a few of those kind of things where I thought I knew the answer, but then what a, what a doofus I am, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, but it's interesting. Yeah, you should just give it a shot, Aaron. Like you know, I know you've been doing a lot of Swift lately. It's it's a you know interesting thing. Just sort of uh, you know, it's got questions about enums and structs and you know, pass by value, pass by reference. You know, not in those words, but those are the kind of concepts that it covers. Here, you know? there's a little part here describing the three levels: novice, intermediate, and expert. Think of novice as quote I have six months of Swift experience. <laughs> That's me. Yeah. Intermediate as I've been using Swift over a year. And expert as I dream enclosures, I regularly use Swift betas. I'm Chris Latner, mm-hmm. <laughs> or all three. <laughs> I am not Chris Latner. I wonder how Chris Latner would do on this. Hopefully, uh, he'd do really well. I would hope he would do very well. Yeah, yeah. Unless so. he, you know, is a little too tired from working on Swift. Yeah. So some of our peeps over at uh, Rayburn, like including our buddy Greg Heo, took the test today. But I don't know what level they took. So yeah. So I, I have to hang my head and feel shame. I, I'll be honest with you. You mean you did this and you did not perform to your expectations? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, um, because, yeah, I mean, a, a lot of times I thought I knew the answer, but the answer was, what are you kidding? This isn't going to work, you know? And, yeah. I don't know. I'm actually a little uh, – okay, actually, let me ask one more question. Sure. And once once you complete the test, um, are you able to share your results somehow? Of course you are. You can you can yeah, tweet them out figures. to the world and you can put your name in. And, and, and what form do those uh, results take? Is I it a score? I, again, I I hung my head and felt shame. I didn't feel like publishing the fact that you know. But what? No, I don't. Not asking what your result was. I don't want to embarrass you or anything. I'm asking what format it takes. Is it a, a percentage correct? Is it? Uh, is yeah, it you get like what? nine. I think there's twenty questions, and you get like you know whatever out of out of twenty. Out of twenty, you, yeah, okay. that you got, and um, yeah. So a, lo- okay. a lot of people I know got like fourteen out of twenty. If that gives you any kind of indication, but yeah. Yeah, and what, does it say which test? No, I said I mean, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what they did. Let me see if Greg's online. I'll ask him. Okay, you do that. Uh, okay, I don't know if I'm going to take this test. <laughs> you know what? Take, take, the, take the beginner one. What the hell, you know? Mm-hmm. It's fun. You know, the funny thing with me, um, don't tell anyone I said this, but mm-hmm. I'm, not really, um, I'm not really interested in languages. I'm not, I'm not into the academic part of it, and I know a lot of people on Twitter that I follow or, or people that I talk with about Swift and about languages in general um, have a very academic interest in programming languages mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and compare techniques for doing particular things, and, you know, there's a language around it. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I tend to sort of nod off when that happens. <laughs> I, I, I really am much more interested in just accomplishing things sure, yeah. with language. And so I tend to do poorly in those kinds of discussions, and I'm going to 
go out on a limb and say I'm probably not going to do too great on this test. But I'll take it. We'll see. Yeah, well, it's an inter- interesting. Uh, I mean, again, I, I learn things when I take tests like this too. So um, I'm I've always sort of been a C plus student, like uh, in school. About, I, I never really put you know 100 percent of my effort into into studying when I was a kid, and I find that to be true to this day. Right. So, so I know design patterns have a uh, a stigma assigned to them for for various reasons, but they are useful as a vocabulary, right? As a sure jargon for the industry that if you say oh visitor pattern you say delegate pattern you 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 should understand what i'm saying mm-hmm. or at least you have a very easy reference rather than just kind of making up whatever you know it kind of looks like to you sort of thing i think that's sure, part of yeah, the, yeah. the maturation of the the industry anyway so it's interesting like i said there's a link in the show notes if people want to take the test i encourage you to do it just even even just for the learning exercise you know um i did actually have to one thing kind of stumped me and i kind of went and looked at it i, I knew i had the, actually had the right answer but i just wanted to run it in the in a playground just to see what what the result was you know so oh how long did it take you to run uh to do the test i did yeah. it on the, i did it on the streetcar on the way home like maybe 10 minutes okay yeah so it doesn't take doesn't take a long, very long to find the wrong answer yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. All right. So I guess that's it. That's the show. That's it for the week. And so, Aaron, people want to find you on the interwebs. Where would they look? Go to the Twitter machine at Aaron Vay. And Jaime, people want to find you on the Twitter machine? They can find me as at Dev of the Hair. Okay. And Mark? Mark R at Smapsoft.com. Oh, before we go, um, I'm going to be at RW DevCon in, I think, 15 days, two weeks. So if anybody are going to be there, look me up. Um, are you? Have you decided whether you're going to Ennis North, Jaime? I think it's rather unlikely given um, some other things I have going on. So right. uh, it's rather unfortunate. If it was you know, a month or two later in the year, uh, it'd probably be easier to, to do, but yeah, uh, yeah, unfortunately yeah. I don't think the timing's going to work out. Yeah. And I, I, I think I'm on the team that's going to be going to, uh, NS North and Aaron, Aaron, had you decided if you're going to go to that or it's still too early to say, but I, uh, you know, when Jaime said that, if it were like a month later, uh, that would make so much difference. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it really would. Hmm. Um, so it is looking unlikely. Okay, cool. But it's not impossible. All righty then. Okay, so I guess that's it for the week. We'll say goodbye. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Hey, if you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There, you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the items that we talk about on the show, as well as links to the apps on the App Store. Hey, if you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website. And if you could also write a review on iTunes, that would be amazing. And if you're listening on Overcast, go ahead and press the recommend button now. I'll wait. It really helps others find out about the show. You can also follow us on Twitter. The podcast Twitter account is at MTJC underscore podcast. And if you'd like to support us, you can pledge any amount on patreon.com slash MTJC. Thank you so much for listening. Love you guys.
<laughs> Damn you, Mitra. So, just a reminder, kids, I'm not going to be here next week. So, I, I believe I, have a good time. I believe I have your substitute lined up. Who is it? Um, well, it'll either, either be Greg or it'll be Tammy. Um, Tammy, yeah. All right. Tammy's always a standby. She's, you know, she lives on the farm. What else is she going to do?